This is the Jail Ministry Podcast. The J-A-I-L, or Jesus Acts and Inmates Lives Ministry, is Christ-centered and provides programs focused on the prevention and intervention for the incarcerated. Jail Ministry also provides support to offenders, criminal justice professionals, victims, and their families. Thank you for your continued financial assistance. For more information, visit jailmen.org. Now, here's today's lesson. Welcome to Jail Bible Study. My name is Kevin McCarthy. I'm excited for you guys tuning in. And if you do have a neighbor there or a cellmate or whatever, why don't you invite them along so they can listen in too. And I do make a suggestion for y'all. Um, try and get together so you have accountability to do your study and do your lesson every day and do your readings. So grab a guy or two or three or four and set a time every day maybe where you get together and study God's Word and read God's Word. Because remember, faith comes from hearing, and hearing the word of Jesus Christ. Today's lesson is, is called Regeneration, or Born Again, or Salvation, A New Life in Christ. And it's such a miracle, it's so awesome, that I thought, we studied the last two weeks on this subject, but there's so much more to it. So today we're going to go in and kind of hit it from different angles and different, different people in the Bible. We're going to study Paul and Peter. And we're just going to look at the wonderful, wonderful gift of eternal life. And it's something, when we look at it, we say, well, why did God choose me? So has God chosen you? We don't really know sometimes, but we know that our behaviors and our actions and our passions will reflect someone that is born again. So once again, regeneration is God calling us. And it's a mystery. We don't really understand how it works, but it changes our heart, it opens our eyes, it opens our ears, and it brings us a new understanding. Amen? So, it's a sovereign call, meaning it's of God who calls us and changes us. It's also mysterious. We talked about that before. As the wind blows to Nicodemus, and it's the work of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit who opens our eyes. It's also the gift of eternal life. Now, if you think about this gift, it's infinite. It's forever and ever and ever. I don't think anyone, anyone can understand what infinite, what eternal means. And it's going to be with God the Father, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit too. And we'll have work to do there. So, our previous lessons were on God seeks Jesus seeks and saves the laws. So, in our last lesson, I kind of left it hanging a little bit with Nicodemus. We were in chapter 3. But one of the greatest radio commentators and disc jockeys of all time, Paul Harvey said, and now the rest of the story. So we're going to talk about the rest of the story. Um, and we look at Christ because Nicodemus, as you recall, was a religious leader. He had done all the good things. He thought he had obeyed all of the Ten Commandments. And by the way, the laws of the Pharisees were endless. There were over 800 different laws for dietary customs with other people, cultural laws. I mean, they were impossible to keep. But as we recall, Nicodemus um, was came by night. And we also know the Pharisees were quite arrogant. They, they thought they had all the answers. 
But I think God is sending the Holy Spirit into Nicodemus because he's going to step out and take kind of a risky step and go meet with Jesus. Okay, And as we recall, he meets with Jesus because he wants to know what happens to us, like everyone else, when we die. And to kind of sum it up, Jesus says, Truly, truly, you must be born again to see the kingdom of heaven. Truly, truly. So when Jesus said that, he said that with complete assurance from God. God can't lie. So to be born again, we, we, must, we must put our faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ alone. But I want to bring something up that's pretty, pretty awesome. And I hadn't seen this before. And this is how the Bible works. You read it one time, two times, three times. And maybe sometimes you say, you know, I'm getting kind of, I'm getting a little bored reading John or Acts or whatever. So I, I really advise you maybe to mix it up a little bit. There's different Bible study plans. Rather than reading the Old Testament first, you can read an Old Testament section a couple verses a day with a couple verses of the New Testament. Then you will see the connection oftentimes between the Old Testament before Jesus and the New Testament. So that's what I do. I read approximately um, one or two chapters um, out of, I mean, Ezra right now. Ezra was one of the prophets that came back to rebuild the temple. So think about that. You can check that online if you can do that for different reading plans. But in chapter 19, we're going to see an incredible, incredible um, story about Nicodemus who comes back into Jesus' life. We don't know if he was at the cross, but he came after the death of Jesus. So as you recall, most of the people that were surrounding Jesus, they ran when Jesus was beaten, whipped, and crucified. But in John chapter 19, verse 39, if you want to go to that, there's a great rest of the story with Nicodemus. And I love this because it has so much meaning in just a few words. So it says, Nicodemus, who had first come to him by night, okay, so John's, John's writing this, he first came by night, also came after the body was taken down, okay, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloe, about 100 pounds weight. I love the detail here. So John says, about 100 pounds. So we probably had sacks. Now myrrh, we know, was a very, very precious, precious plant. And the Jews used these precious plants for medicinal purposes, but also for embalming bodies. And we know that no one would have that kind of money to buy about 100 pounds of myrrh and aloe. The aloe was kind of cooling and preserved, and the myrrh gave off a beautiful scent. So the body would not smell right away, kind of preserve the natural smell. And I checked into this. To buy this kind of myrrh and aloe costs anywhere from one hundred to one hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Thousand dollars. So obviously Nicodemus had money, number one. And obviously too he respects and he looks to Jesus Christ as the king, as the king in heaven, the king savior. So by doing this, it's, it's, it's uncontroversial evidence 
that Nicodemus was most likely born again. And by that encounter he had with Jesus, and that was probably about a year and a half, maybe two years previous, he had changed. Now, at that time, for someone to be born again and to turn away from the Pharisee rules-based religion and turn to Jesus Christ, it was a very, very difficult step or decision to make. For the Christians were mocked, they were beaten, they were hung, they were tortured. They lost all or most of their family status. And as a Pharisee, obviously as the head of the Pharisees, he lost all his prestige, his power, and his financials too. So by doing this, it shows, like us, when we make a commitment to Christ, sometime there's persecution. So I wanted to see that right there. So um, it was a burial gift. So we know truly, if we look at 2 Corinthians 5.17, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. A wonderful verse written by the Apostle Paul. I think we spoke about this before, but Paul was a Pharisee. Paul was probably the most intelligent. He was a lawyer, legal, legal standing by training. He knew all the laws. He knew all the Jewish laws. And he was a persecutor of Christians. So before Paul would write two-thirds of the books of the New Testament, he was chasing down Christians. In fact, the Apostle Stephen was hounded by him, and he was stoned to death. So Paul was a murderer. And when Paul was walking on one of his other trips to round up Christians, going up towards Tarsus, which is today in Syria, he was struck by the light. So the light changed him. The light was the Holy Spirit, and the light of Christ appeared and spoke to Paul. Kind of like us. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Have you persecuted Christ? Have you mocked his name? Have you cussed his name? Have you made fun of people that go to church or they're relatively holy or righteous? They, they make right decisions. Um, you don't see them swearing and you see them going to church regularly. If you're like me, I mock them. So I definitely, definitely, I had a lot of Paul in me before I was born again. So Paul's going to write about the change that occurs in a new believer. And he writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, Whoever is in Christ is a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. So think about that, guys and gals. The old is gone. We still have a sinful nature. But through Christ's righteousness, he takes our sins, our past sins, present, and oh yes, our, our future sins. He gives us his righteousness. He takes them upon him. And by the blood of Jesus on the cross, he paid the price and redeemed us. He paid the price for our sins. Okay? So, let's open our Bibles into probably 
one of my favorite, I think one of the best 10 verses of the Bible. That's going to be Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 10. Now, what I love about these 10 verses is they're condensing our old sinful self and then God's grace of saving us and then what we look like afterwards in just 10 verses. So it kind of reminds me, I was thinking about this on the way over. Y'all, you're not old enough, or maybe talk to your grandparents, but back in the old days, back in the 50s, 60s, even early 70s, we didn't have great quality photographs. The, the cameras we had were pretty junky. The pictures were terrible. Unless you had a professional photographer, they didn't look too good. Okay, So a lot of our parents, my dad, would take slides. Now you're going to say, what are slides? Well, slides had better color imaging. They were kind of a polyethylene film, and the colors to this day are still outstanding. So what would happen is oftentimes, maybe once a year or so, our parents would put together a slideshow, okay? Because my dad was into slides, into cameras. And the slideshow could be for your uh, grandparents' 50th anniversary. And you'll take pictures from when they were kids, from where they were teenagers, maybe playing baseball, and then getting married, and then having children, which would be your parents, and then um, all the different, every few years, a different age, a different activity. So what you would see, in my case, I'd see the early pictures. I'd see the baby pictures, the walking pictures. I'd see fishing with my dad when I was seven. Special memories, you know, special memories. And then I'd see the 10-year-old pictures getting, having our first communion and first uh, making our confessions as a Catholic. And then I'd see these pictures, the teenage pictures, kind of the rebellious years. Okay, the rebellious years in the 60s and 70s, that meant you had long hair. You didn't want your hair cut. So you see those pictures of yourself maybe 30 years later, and you're, it's almost embarrassing to show your spouse going, man, what was that picture? Oh, that was my homecoming back back when I was 16, 17, you know. Look at your hair. It looks like a giant Brillo pad, you know. Kind of an afro. So I had an afro before any of y'all had afros back in jail. So you see the little pictures, and then you see the pictures from sports and stuff. And for me, playing rugby, drinking beer was one and the same. So I'd see all these pictures. Some were a little bit embarrassing, doing stupid things, you know. But they're in there. They're in that photo album. And you look at that and you go, and then you move on to becoming a doctor and then getting married. You're settling down. So it's a wonderful way, if you ever do that, put, put together photo albums of yourself to show your kids or your friends or your spouses kind of your life. So that's kind of what Paul's doing in chapter 2. He's doing that. He's going to talk about how we were in the old days. And let me tell you, they're not pretty. So let me just get settled my notes here. Open your Bibles. As I said before, it's kind of a slice of our life. Before Christ, being born again, and with Christ. So due to Adam, I'll read the first three verses here, and then I'll kind of break it down a little bit. So this Ephesians 
chapter 2, Ephesians written by Apostle Paul, okay, to the church in Ephesus. And that was in Greece, about 400 miles away from Israel, by boat, 350 miles by boat. So he's going to go there. He's going to say, and you, Ephesians, and you in jail, and me, were dead in your trespasses and sins. Amen? That's us. We're dead in our sins and our trespasses. And as being dead, we're incapable of doing godly behavior. We can do good things, but we're incapable when we're dead. Remember, a dead man, a dead man walking, that's what we're. We're walking dead man. We can see in front of us, but we can't see above us. We can't see eternal life. We can't see Jesus Christ. We can't see um, turning to Christ and repenting. We, we can't see any of that. We're dead. And as dead men walking, our hearts are hard. We learn that in Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 24, 25. Our hearts are hard like stone. So those hardened hearts, they don't want anything to do with Jesus and his righteous behavior. Nothing to do with it. That's how I was too. So it's a miracle that he would call me. Just like some of you out there right now. It's a miracle. And the, the other way to, to visualize this is we're here and there's a gap. It's, it's the largest gap you can possibly imagine to Christ, God, and the Holy Spirit. It's, it's so distant... It's like when they say, oh, these stars are 124 light years away. I can't even figure out how many miles that is. How am I seeing the light? That's how far we are from Jesus. Okay, It's an infinite gap. So he says in verse 2, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world. Number one, course of this world. Number two, we're walking according to the prince of the power of the air. Who's that? We'll come back to that. And three, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Wow. Three things there. We're talking about, number one, we're talking about the course of the world. Like all of us, before we're saved, we're living in the world. And the world does not love God. The world does not love Jesus. The world does not try to live by his commands. The world is the same world that has the pornography, the cell phone pornography, the evil things being going on right now with drag queens, awful, awful, awful things that are happening in our schools right now. Unfortunately, that is the world without God. They've turned their eyes. they turned their back. But our world, we can't really judge because before we're saved, we're not exactly living a pure life. We're living a life away from God. And we will do, watch things, say things, um, live a certain way, spend our money on certain things. We get caught up in drinking and we say, oh, you know what? It's only a couple, three days a week. I'm not as big a drinker as so-and-so. So the world is the world we see out there and it's the world away from God. 
And that's what's happening right now in our culture. The world has turned from God. They no longer have the Ten Commandments. So the world is it's evil. Okay? So walk to the course of this world. That's how we're walking. We said, oh, it's okay. Everybody else is doing it. Then he says, according to the prince of the power of the air. Well, we know that the prince of the power of the air is Satan. Okay? Satan is real. He is real. He tempted Adam and Eve. He will tempt us. He's out there. Okay? He's out there. There are terrible things that happen. When we turn away from God and we continue to turn away, we actually become demonic. We do some pretty nasty things. We're not proud of them at all. So we talk about Satan. We'll come back to that in a moment. And the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. That's our spirit before Christ. It's one of rebellion. We're going to rebel from God. By golly, we're going to do what we want to do. I don't care. Hell or high water, I'm going to do what I want to do. And we have lusting thoughts. We have evil thoughts. We have anger thoughts. We'll cheat on people. We'll lie to people to cover our tracks. We don't even think it's bad anymore. We'll steal little things because it's not a big thing. So that's the spirit that is within us. And as Christians, we still have a spirit within us. We are by no means perfect. But we don't dive into our sins like we used to. Okay? We still turn to Christ. We ask for forgiveness every day. We repent every day. We try to follow Him. And the Holy Spirit gives us a conscience of what we should do and what we shouldn't do. What's wrong? Among them, we too, so among all of us, we all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh. Ha! The lust of our flesh. Okay? The flesh, food, drink, drugs, sex, gambling, recreation. Gotta do this, gotta do that. I gotta have that. I gotta have this. I gotta have that. And it becomes, you're your own God. You create your own idols. You worship these idols. Money for drink, money to take women out, money for drugs. We are in that world. The lust of the flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind. So the heart comes first for these lusts, but then the mind starts to say, oh, yeah. Could be lusting about women, adulterous thoughts. So the lust and the desires of the flesh and of the mind. He says this in three verses. It's so powerful because it should convict every one of you to your sins. And he says, and we're by nature children of wrath. Wow. Instead of being children of God and being adopted by God when we were born again, we're children of wrath and evil. See what I'm saying? There's no in-between, okay? There's children of God, and there's children of wrath. Some people say, you know what, I don't, I don't think I'm, you know, following the devil, that's too strong, you know. No, children of wrath. And so, he finishes this with, he says, we're by nature, that's our human nature. We don't even have to think about it, okay? 
even as the rest. We're no better than anyone else. We're all, we're all lost. We're all dead people walking, making up our own rules, making up, taking our sins and saying, hey, it's no big thing. Okay? But chapter, I'm sorry, verse 4. It's like a giant roadblock here. It's like the best rescue that's ever happened. It's like hitting the brakes, you're almost in an accident, almost going to get an accident, and God comes down and rescues you from that accident. In fact, yesterday, I'm driving down Highway 439, kind of a backcountry road. Fortunately, you know, I'm paying attention. I used to pay attention because my wife was a driving instructor. So I'm driving on the road 62 miles an hour on my cruise control. Oh, man, a yellow car veers into my lane about 50 feet away. And I'm thinking, oh, man, oh, man. I turned out of the way, swerved out of the way near the shoulder. He kind of woke up from his cell phone, pulled back in. It was still about 30, 40 feet away. But 65 and 62 hitting like that, if I wouldn't be paying attention, I thought, man, God rescued me there. He opened my eyes. So, in verse 4, the rescue is God. He says, but God. Okay, you're walking dead, man. But God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. But God. He's rich. He's got so much mercy, it's infinite. Okay? And his great love. And that's the thing. His great love. To love you, love I. With which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, he's restating it. Even when we were dead in our sins and transgressions, a transgression is, is breaking God's law, made us alive together with Christ. And the beautiful verse, six words, highlight this, by grace you have been saved. Not by works, not by what you've done the last year, not how you talk, change your language, but by grace. Okay? He made us alive. He brought us out of the pit. He gives us hope. He gives us his love. He gives us his mercy. He doesn't treat us like we deserve. We should be treated like little demons. Okay? So he says he raised, in chapter 6, he raised us up with him. And he seats us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. What a wonderful promise. He raises us up. He said just before, he saves us, makes us alive. Then he raises us and puts us at the seat with God and Jesus. He seats us near him on the throne. What an awesome, awesome promise. In the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. In him. Not in Allah, not by good works, in Him, Christ. Verse 7, so that in the ages to come, He might show the surpassing riches of His grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. He keeps saying it over and over. He repeats it because you know what? We're pretty stupid. We're stupid. We hear instructions. We follow instructions. We forget them. We wander away because our human natures will take the easy way. So that in ages to come, that means that eternal life, those infinite years, 
you'll be a child of God. With a surpassing. It's he can't say anymore. It's it's surpassing riches. Okay? Of his grace. Grace is a free gift. Y'all can't earn it. Amen. Verse 8, we're going to wind down here. For by grace you've been saved through faith. He says it again. For by grace, God's free gift, you've been saved, saved from your sin, through faith. Remember, faith is the operative word, through faith. And that's not of yourselves. His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. It's a gift of God. There you go. Whoops, excuse me. It's the gift of God, not by works, by grace. So, people that say, oh, you know, I do all these things, I do all, those, do all these works, and I like to help out here, help out there. It's fine to do those things. It's fine to help out in the food shelter and everything, but don't think you're getting any closer to God. You know, I know some people, they're into volunteer, 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 volunteer. But really, we should be volunteering and really helping in the home. When you guys and y'all are out serving our wives or children, serving God, serving the church. There's time to do other things. That's great. But giving glory to God. He says it again, so not as a result of works. So that no one may boast. No one. No one can boast about their salvation. When I was first saved, I did a little bit of, little bit of boasting about that. I gave, gave my faith story. But then when I realized, it's by God's grace. I didn't deserve it. I was a dead man walking. The more you read these 10 verses, the more you read Ephesians, the more you're going to say, hallelujah. And if you are saved from going to church and being in jail, hey, that's a blessing. Sometimes you had to be kind of broken and shooken up, like I was. So, in closing and 10, for we are His, Jesus' workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we'd walk in them. He gives us the steps, we should walk in them. Guys, great, gals, great talking with you. I want you to share this with your roommates, share it with your friends, and I'll see you all next week. Amen.